1: I was thinking the other day, I bet a lot of our listeners don't know about that Sorted tab on our website. The Sorted tab? Yeah. Well, you know, we've done more than 100 episodes. So what I did was I thought if we would sort our episodes into categories, it would be really helpful to new listeners.
2: You know what? I was there checking it out. and. Where is that sorted?
1: Well, if you go to the home page, if you're on your phone, you'll see like these three dashes at the top okay. and then you click at it and it'll go to different pages. Look for the page that says sorted.
2: Okay. Yeah, I was looking through all the stuff the other day. I was, it was
1: Yeah, cool. it's 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 old school. I mean, it's not some fancy chart. It's me just boiling this down by county, by year, by genre, by name of victim. But you can go straight to the topics that might interest you most, though, of course, we hope you get around to listening to all of them.
2: Okay, well, how about our Featured Music tab?
1: Oh, yeah, we have one of those, too. That's my other favorite feature. Just last week, someone told me they were really trying to remember a song they heard, and they couldn't remember the episode it was on, and they didn't know the person's name. So I showed them how if you click on the Featured Music tab at the top of our homepage... It lists all the songs we've used. Even better, there's a big yellow Spotify playlist button at the top of that page. And if you click on it, it pulls all of the songs up in one big jukebox. You can just jump around and sample the wonderfully diverse music that Ohio artists are creating. Pop, folk, country, grunge, Latin, blues, whatever style you like. I am confident you can find an Ohio musician you'd like to support.
2: Alright, well maybe this would be a good time to add a new song to that playlist
1: I've got one for you, Steve Let's hear a clip
0: Will my farm's old And you won't grow long
2: Welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of "When I Leave," a song by the Floorwalkers from Columbus, Ohio. The Floorwalkers are a featured Ohio music artist tonight, so hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We're going to tell you a little bit more about them, how to find their music, and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. co-host Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal.
1: Hi, everybody. How much do you love American history, Steve? I love it this much. Wow, your hands are very, very spread apart there. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear it, because tonight we have an American history mystery for you, and smack in the center of it, an Ohioan who rose to become Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of War during the Civil War, a man who some historians now wonder might have been a conspirator dun, dun, dun. in the assassination of the president
2: so, we're going to be talking some Abraham Lincoln,
1: yeah, have you heard of this uh, controversy involving Edward Stanton? Before? I have
2: not, but I do have a great Abraham Lincoln dad joke.
1: Oh, please share. Are you ready? I'm ready.
2: What did Abraham Lincoln say when he was accused of a crime? What? I'm in a scent.
1: I'm in a scent. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll leave that in for our listeners. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, like I said, his name was Edwin Stanton. And let me tell you a little bit about him first. Then I'm going to break down for you the debate that has had entire books in support of each side. Edwin McMaster's Stanton was born in Steubenville, Ohio, in 1814. He came from a long line of Quakers. They ended up in Ohio because his widowed grandma, Abigail Stanton, moved the Klan from North Carolina to the Northwest Territory even before Ohio was a state. After statehood was granted, she bought a tract of land in Mount Pleasant and settled there. One of her sons, David Stanton, became a physician in Steubenville. He was forced to leave the Quaker sect because he married a woman named Lucy who was a Methodist. Totally dare her. unacceptable. David and Lucy went on to have four children, the first of whom was Edwin. Edwin was 10 years old when he had his first asthma attack. And spoiler alert here asthma is going to be what kills him one day. Some of his attacks would lead to the point of convulsion. Oh, wow. Yeah, he had to abstain from highly physical activities, and so he buried himself in books. Now, Edwin's dad made a pretty good living with his medical practice. Edwin even attended a private school. But David died suddenly in 1827, when Edwin was just 13 years old. His death left the family destitute. You know, you hear these stories all the time. People just were not big savers back then. Mm -hmm. And Edwin's mother opened a store in the front room of her home to sell her husband's medical supplies, along with books and groceries. Well, all of this meant Edwin had to leave school, not only because they couldn't afford the tuition, but because he needed to help support the family. He found a job at a bookseller. Edwin did make it to college. Sort of. He started at Kenyon College in 1831, but at the end of his third semester, it became clear he just couldn't afford to stay. He lived in Columbus for a time, working as a bookseller again, then returned to Steubenville to study law. He was admitted to practice in 1835 and got a job with a prominent law firm in Cadiz, Ohio.
2: Man, Cadiz, Ohio, is a, was so famous for something. It many comes things.
1: up once in a while. Yeah, Do You remember what the other uh, big one is? Clark Gable. Clark Gable. Yeah, yeah we did another couple that were. I know, yeah. Cool. We've, we've heard other ones there. Well, anyway, it was there, and Cadiz—that he married Mary Ann Lamson, bought a home, and moved in his mother's and sisters. He was a good son. Stanton worked with the town's anti-slavery society. He wrote for a local newspaper and he was elected the prosecutor of Harrison County. His boss, Benjamin Tappan, eventually became a U.S. senator, and that's when Stanton's political career began. He moved back to Steubenville to take over Tappan's law firm there and served as a delegate at the Democratic National Convention in 1840. Meanwhile, Edwin and Mary had a rough start to building their family. Their first child, Lucy, was born healthy enough But within months, she took ill. Stanton spent the summer at baby Lucy's bedside, but she ultimately died. The second child was a boy, named for his father, and he proved to be healthy and happy. But there was more grief to come. In 1844, Edwin's wife of seven years died of bilious fever. Hmm. Historians have said Edwin's sorrow verged on insanity. There were moments he would emerge from his bedroom with tear-filled eyes, walking the house with a lamp, asking, where is Mary? Where is Mary? Stanton regained his faculties by that summer and went on to a very successful career. He featured in some prominent cases that made national news. He became so big, Steubenville couldn't hold him anymore. He moved to Pittsburgh, where he added more high-profile cases to his resume and remarried. Then Edwin took his new wife, Ellen, to Washington, D.C., where he planned to get more involved with work that would take him before the U.S. Supreme Court. Edwin and Ellen added a daughter to their family, and Edwin's renown continued to grow until he was appointed the United States Attorney General. That was not as high as he would rise because the year after that, the U.S. Civil War had begun. The Secretary of War at that time, Simon Cameron, was irking some powerful people over some controversial stances he had, and they pressured him to quit. It was up to President Abraham Lincoln to replace him. Edwin Stanton, a Democrat, was not the Republican Lincoln's first choice, but cabinet members said he was the best choice. And in January of 1862, about a year into the conflict between the North and the South, Stanton was confirmed as the new Secretary of War. The Civil War lasted three more years, until April of 1865, when Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox. Just days later, President Lincoln was attending a play at Ford's Theater in Washington, when a fairly well-known actor of his day, John Wilkes Booth, slipped into his booth and shot him in the head before fleeing. History has recorded what Stanton was doing in the hours that followed. He took charge, no doubt about it. Even as Lincoln lay dying, Stanton was in the next room swinging into action, ordering protection for other leaders, crafting an announcement to the nation, organizing the search for the assassins. But that decisiveness didn't sit well with some and raised suspicions with others who questioned his aggressive tactics. Stanton looked to them like a man who was seeking to grab power, maybe even a man who had choreographed events to benefit himself. He had a cold efficiency in the weeks after Lincoln's death, flawless energy, quick direction. Was that because he knew Lincoln was going to die? and had prepared for this next phase? Lincoln wasn't the only one attacked that night. Co-conspirators were assigned to kill Secretary of State William Seward and Vice President Andrew Johnson. Their efforts failed. But if Wilkes, a Confederate sympathizer, was trying to take out the top leadership that had beaten his beloved South, why had no one targeted Stanton, one of the architects of that conflict? Historian Walter Starr wrote the biography, Stanton, Lincoln's War Secretary, and he doesn't buy for a minute that Stanton had anything to do with Lincoln's death or the attacks that happened that night. Starr used notes, letters, and memoirs to show that Stanton was absolutely the kind of man who could take cool and confident charge in a crisis. The president's death was not going to paralyze him. He knew death. His father and his sister died while he was still a boy. His brother committed suicide. He lost a daughter. He lost his beloved wife, Mary. All this on top of the many losses of friends he suffered during the war. Still, the way he swung into action had many of his peers recollecting why they never liked him in the first place. Truth be told, he had many enemies in Lincoln's cabinet, and among the generals who were fighting the Union cause— He inspired widespread dislike, even hatred. George McClellan, the brilliant commander who built and trained the Army of the Potomac, he once called Stanton the vilest man I ever knew. Satirists of the day often portrayed Lincoln as a simpleton and Stanton as an evil gnome pulling the strings. Man, he must
2: have been short. (laughs) Call him a gnome.
1: Uh, That's a good question. I don't know what his... his, (laughs) And many were disaffected when he was chosen for the job in the first place. He wasn't a Lincoln supporter before the war. He didn't even belong to the president's party. The author star said those arguments cut both ways. Those weren't reasons why Stanton wanted Lincoln dead. Those were reasons why people wanted to accuse him of it. Stanton had a superhuman ability for organization and for consuming vast amounts of information in a short time. Asthma had kept Stanton out of military service, but gave him time to become a student of war, studying tactics, strategy, and logistics. He was perfectly suited to the task that the nation had entrusted to him. And if he was a bad cop to Lincoln's good cop, it was a necessary role. Martial law, suspension of the right of habeas corpus, military prosecutions of civilians, those things came from Stanton, not Lincoln, and people hated him for it. One argument against the idea of Stanton being a co-conspirator was the zeal with which he took the assassins out. The man who pulled the trigger, John Wilkes Booth, he was already shot dead, killed by authorities who had chased him into a tobacco barn, Stanton was even criticized for using a military commission instead of a civilian court to try the rest of the conspirators, hanging four of them. Stanton continued to cut a controversial figure even as Andrew Johnson succeeded Lincoln into the White House. Stanton was progressive. Back when generals were demanding freed slaves and other black soldiers play supporting roles with the troops, Stanton was pressing them to give the men full status and equal pay. And he challenged President Andrew Johnson, who he accused of being overly generous to the traitorous South, and challenged Johnson on the president's views that black men shouldn't have the vote. Twice, President Johnson tried to have Stanton removed from his position and the tension between the two men led to the first impeachment of a U.S. president. But Johnson survived that impeachment by a single vote and Stanton, having lost that battle, felt the pressure to step down. Stanton was in poor health anyway. He would die a couple of years later at the age of 51 from the asthma he had suffered his whole life. So Stahl is one of many advocates who believe Stanton's reputation was much maligned by people who just didn't agree with him and wanted to ruin his reputation. For the other side of this coin, I turn to David Balsiger and Charles Sellerus, who wrote the book The Lincoln Conspiracy. The central premise of the book is that Stanton, the Union spy Lafayette Baker, Senators Benjamin Wade and John Connors, A congressional group known as the Radical Republicans and a group of northern bankers and speculators wanted Lincoln out of office, but not dead. Their original plan was to kidnap Lincoln and hide him while bogus articles of impeachment were being drafted to remove him from office. Why? Because they strongly opposed Lincoln's generous plans for reconstructing the South and because of the loss of profits when the president restricted the cotton trade during the Civil War. As the theory goes, John Wilkes Booth was tapped because Stanton's group had learned he was already working with another group to kidnap the president. That group had an entirely different motive. They wanted to see the South rise again, but the ends were the same. So Stanton's group provided Booth with money and information on Lincoln's movements. But Booth couldn't get the job done. He had to abort his plans repeatedly. Out of fear that his bumbling was going to reveal the whole plan and everyone behind it, Stanton's group ordered Booth to stop trying. It was then that Booth and his old group of Confederate sympathizers decided this business of kidnapping was just too complicated. Better to just kill Lincoln, his vice president, and a secretary of state. When Booth assassinated Lincoln on April 14, Stanton and his allies were afraid their involvement would be exposed. They were even able to acquire Booth's diary, which had incriminating details about the meetings with Stanton's group. This theory goes on to say the man killed in the tobacco barn on April 26 was not Booth. It was a Confederate double agent named James William Boyd. When Stanton learned the wrong guy was killed, He took advantage of the situation. Since the body was in military custody, he was able to manipulate the autopsy records to make sure descriptions were consistent with Booth. And all those conspirators who were hung? It wasn't proof that Stanton wanted justice for Lincoln. It was proof that Stanton wanted them dead to protect himself and his cronies. That's why he left their fate to a military commission where he had more control rather than civilian hands. Now, if you haven't listened to our episode, The Corpse of John Wilkes Booth, it would be worth your time if this topic interests you. Some of that story is relevant here, so let me give you the important parts. Many years after all this happened, a man in Texas named John St. Helens confessed on his deathbed that he was John Wilkes Booth, that he had escaped authorities seeking him after the assassination, and that his co-conspirators included Edwin Stanton and others. When John St. Helens didn't die on that deathbed, he realized he had to flee. He moved to Oklahoma and took the name David George. Years later, when David George was dying, he confessed again. This time, he did die, and his confession made the newspapers. It's widely accepted that John St. Helens and David George were the same man. But was that man John Wilkes Booth? Just this past year, researchers using facial recognition software added photos of John Wilkes Booth, John St. Helens, and David George to a database of thousands of men. And a computer analysis determined it highly likely that all three men were one and the same. So here's a point to be made. If John St. Helens was right about being John Wilkes Booth, And his deathbed confession was an effort to ease his conscience and set history straight. Could it mean he was also being honest about what else he said? That U.S. Secretary of War Edwin Stanton helped bring about the end of Abraham Lincoln?
2: All right, how about we bring on our armchair detective tonight and see what they think.
1: Well, tonight with us, we have David and Alicia Yoder. Hi, David and Alicia. Hi. Hello. David is Steve's brother. Remember, we've uh, told our listeners, we don't care about nepotism. We bring in family when we need to. And we thought this would be a great episode for you guys. David and Alicia are originally from the Akron area. They're living in Tennessee. But uh, Ohioans at heart, right? Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, sometimes uh, you know I like to just get to the core of it and then work our way backwards. So, what do you guys think? Was Stanton involved or not?
3: Um, it it's fascinating. Um, I'm really not sure. I've read quite a bit on this, and uh, there's good arguments I think for, to say that he could be involved, and yet I kind of lean towards. Probably not, um, just from what I've read and known about Wilkes Booth also. So, I don't know. I love conspiracy theories, though. They're a lot of fun. So <laughs>
4: Yeah. I, I don't think it's likely. Um, you know, conspiracy theories always pop up in big events like this. You got nine eleven. You got JFK, for goodness sakes. And I just think that, you know, they're either, like, politically motivated, which I think this is what, you know, how these kind of sprung up, these theories. Um, or they're just good fodder for conspiracy theorists.
1: I I agree. I, you know, I don't think there was a second gunman on the grassy knoll. You know, I'm not into that at all. One thing about this case that really intrigues me is that almost every argument they give works both ways. Mm-hmm. Okay, Stanton was very quick in making sure there was a military conviction and hanging of the conspirators. But was that because he was angry and wanted to make sure that they were taken out for justice? Or because they, he was trying to <laughs> silence them before they could talk? And, you know, there's so many elements like that. Did they, were people accusing him because of, you know, they hated him and they wanted to ruin his reputation? Or were they accusing him because they really thought, I I don't know where to fall on this. If I have to fall on either side, Mm -hmm. I am very swayed by the facial recognition software Hmm. that makes John St. Helens and David George John Wilkes Booth. If I have to choose a side in that, I'm saying it's him. I'm saying it's the same guy. And so my point during the story was, if it was him, what did he have at stake in terms of lying about Edwin Stanton? Why would he throw that name out on his deathbed? So that's the one thing that really kind of just tilts it just a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. The did, had you guys heard of Edwin Stanton before? Did you know this history at all?
3: Just a little bit, like just from what I knew of history, but i I hadn't really gone that deep into it to really um, before talking about this podcast to to really know about the conspiracy theories behind it. Um so that that the thing with the John St. Helen's um, claiming that Stanton was involved, that was the one thing that kind of makes me question it a little more towards maybe there's something to the conspiracy. But I don't know how much I trust the facial recognition software either. Between the old photos and
4: I had uh, read the, uh, a book called uh, *Team of Rivals* um, back in the you know it was like jeez uh, how it had to have been like uh, like mid two thousands yeah in it there was like a story about Stanton and Lincoln. Lincoln had taken on a court case in Illinois. And it got moved over to Cincinnati, where Stanton and his associates had taken it over. Uh, Lincoln had come over to Cincinnati, and they just ignored him. You know, Stanton and his associates, where even Stanton was overheard calling Lincoln, you know, like you know, backwoods and that sort of thing. You know, Lincoln, you know, to his credit, stayed around for the trial and was just very impressed with Stanton and just his genius in the in, in the courtroom. After Stanton had later moved to Washington, Uh, he still was not a big Lincoln fan. Uh, But to Lincoln's credit, he did bring him in uh, to his cabinet. Uh, Even before he brought him in, like Stanton was not a big Lincoln supporter. But Stanton and Lincoln became very close um, and changed his opinion. And there was a quote in the book, no men were ever so deceived as we in Cincinnati, and just talking about uh, their opinion on Lincoln at the time. So I, I don't think it's
1: Wait, that quote means that was his way of saying yeah, they like, were deceived and thinking that Lincoln was
4: this backwoods. Backwoods.
1: Hick. Okay. Got yeah, it, there got were no
4: it. men ever deceived as we in Cincinnati. So you know, I, I it's it's fun, it's sexy, but I, I, I don't believe that that Stanton. I mean, so many things would have to to go right, and so many people would have to be quiet for them to be able to pull that off, and I just don't think that's likely.
1: And I haven't heard really a. Motivation for this that satisfies me. The motivation yeah. I kept coming up was they thought he was going to be too generous to the South, and they were angry about the cotton trade during the war. And I'm thinking that's like enough what
3: to warrant murdering somebody,
1: right? And you know what? If you're going to take the South back, you know it's like just like now when you know Americans are involved in a foreign war. I mean, we helped rebuild Germany. We helped rebuild Japan. It, that's that's what we do, that's what you have to do. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think you could have been too generous. and try, I mean, the, the South, I mean, probably 90% of the battles took place in the South. I mean, that's the part that had to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't, if I had heard a really good motive, maybe it would have impressed me more, but I did not hear a very good motive.
3: They did say that um, originally it was an idea to kidnap him and then try to impeach him, and just keep him out of public until that process was finished. And that maybe that that went wrong awry, and so Wilkes Booth took it upon himself to go and, and kill Lincoln. So, I mean, there's some mild plausibility if you consider that scenario, but it just seems like so much...
1: details.
3: such a stretch for all of that to...
1: For all those pieces. You know, you're right, and we need to point that out. In the story, we, made, we tried to make it clear. He was not seeking to kill Lincoln. He was seeking to kidnap him, but it was a plan that went awry. And you know what? That's what happens when you make your hitman the guy who wants to kill Lincoln for a totally different reason. You know, he wasn't doing it to stop federal spending on re- the Southern Reconstruction, he was doing it for a very personal reason. He hated him right. for beating the South. Mm-hmm. And you can't contain that. No,
4: no. There was an early book uh, by a man named uh, Otto Eisenschmiel. Uh, it's very influential. Like, people were reading this through 1970s. In the book, it was called um, Why Lincoln Was Murdered. And it claimed that Stanton mastermined all this, like uh Grant was supposed to be at the theater that day and and uh Stanton sent them off, and uh Lincoln requested a bodyguard and he's like, no, not this person and and sent them off and, you know he ordered all the bridges in the area closed except for this one that that Wilkes Booth had escaped from and uh just but there wasn't a lot of evidence in in what he was proposing, but it was very influential for a very long time, but uh yeah, it's it, you know. Anybody, again, familiar with JFK, familiar with 9-11, like, it's just, it's fun. There's the a there's part of that, there's a piece of that that's just really fun that people like to indulge in, and I just don't
1: buy it. We like to think our government is just a big conspiracy all the time, don't we? <laughs> and more competent than they actually are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because we, we did point out, the, the story goes, he wasn't trying to kill him, he was just trying to kidnap him so that they could forward this process of impeachment is are we throwing that out completely could that have happened if there was really no intention for assassination if if they did go to Wilkes booth and say forget it you're not doing this right we're dropping it because then it, their hands are clean at that point you know they mm. didn't participate in the assassination um, you know it was completely on John Wilkes Booth and his you know Confederate sympathizers is That's something we could possibly accept?
3: I think if that were the case, we may have at this point in history have heard about it some way. Like there would have been some kind of letter or confession or diary entry or some family story handed down that you would have heard by now that, you know Stan was horrified that John St. Helens. (laughs) (laughs) I mean like from one of the other hundreds of people that were supposedly involved in this, you would you would think there would be some kind of, you know, story or something that's been like, oh, they were horrified at, you know, they, they planned this and it wasn't working so they called it off and then this guy takes it upon himself to kill the president and so they were horrified over it. You know, you would think there's some kind of thing passed down about that. Some or even kind of clearing of consciousness they, they might Yeah, they might have been like, this was not what, you know, we wanted to happen.
4: I can I can imagine like uh them making a movie of this, you know, Stanton gets his hands on, you know, Wilts Booth's diary and he draws a cigar and like rips out fifteen pages and <laughs> you know, it's just like, come on, like that's not even that's not even like a good uh Tuesday night movie. <laughs> <laughs> too much.
1: Too much. <laughs> they went too far. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so one of the things that kind of swung both ways. Uh, in this argument was Stanton's personality in the hours and days after Lincoln's assassination any feeling on that argument one way or the other
4: i'm just you know as secretary of war stanton you know must have considered the con- contingency of lincoln being assassinated or high ranking officials in the government being assassinated and what he would do again in that 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 uh book team arrivals you know, Stanton was put in like 15 hours, you know, at a standing desk every day, like he was just tirelessly working. And surely as somebody has organized, the the big responsibilities that he had, you know, surely contingency plans of what do we do in case, you know, know, Lincoln's assassinated. Um, I'm sure that
1: explains somewhat of, okay, like, why is this guy just stepping in and doing these things? So it would be You know, one of the criticisms was, ah, it's almost as if he expected the president to die. And And you're saying he should have been expecting (laughs) the president to die. He just beat up half the country. (laughs) (laughs) He was probably more targeted than any president in history. So that's a very good point. Yeah. Very good point. Well, I don't think we have solved this mystery, but it has been great fun chatting with you guys and uh, hopefully our listeners will enjoy this story as well thanks for joining us david and alicia thank you for having us and just want to say like you know our kids
4: just look forward to this all the time we often take trips together whether it's to church or to friends houses and the first thing they ask is you know can we listen to ohio mysteries and uh they're gonna be thrilled to hear their mother and and i on this podcast oh that's awesome
1: (laughs) all right
2: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this
1: and every single one of
2: our episodes, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com.
1: And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. The Floorwalkers are based in Columbus and made above Jonathan Elliott on lead vocals, Theo Perry on lead guitar, Benjamin Meinhold on bass, Todd Hamrick on keys, Jesse Barr on guitar, and Aaron Bashera on drums. Why are the drummers always listed last? I don't know. I'm going to sh- shake that up next time. <laughs> Be sure to follow the boys on Facebook and Instagram, and you can also check out their website, thefloorwalkers.com. You know, this is the second time we featured them.
2: I was going to say, and I think I said it the first time,
1: I love that name, The Floorwalkers, And I love their music. Huh. Really, really fun music.
2: Well, I know I'm ready to hear them again, so turn up the volume, sit back, and relax. Here's the full version of When I Leave by The Floorwalkers. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
0: His Well, the water don't look calm this morning But this morning I'm sailing away All alone on a sea of flames Oh, I don't want to leave you But you sent me away The gold Darkness is on the wind. my farm's old and you won't grow. to see. The goal